Planet Worker, a world in development. Human Agency and International Development Series. Episode 5. The Nation-State, Civil Society and NGOs in Development. As the critique of state centrism in development aid increased, the role of the recipient state in development was increasingly questioned. Neoliberal developmentalism had reconstructed the role of the state in regard to development within two intersecting agendas. The first being the sound economic state pursuing acceptable economic policies and providing its citizens with basic services and public goods, while the second is that of good governance in promoting development. In order to be considered developmental, The latter determines that the state should connect to citizens, civil society and the private sector in ways that enable socio-economic progress but are also characterised by accountability, transparency, responsiveness, participation and equity. Faced with the problem of the state, the international development industry increasingly viewed NGOs as offering an alternative, more acceptable and ultimately manageable ways to deliver development. NGOs were perceived to have the potential to address problems in the distribution of aid at a national level, especially where the state had proved to be ineffective. NGOs were seen to reduce risk in three key areas. The loss of aid due to inefficiencies in distribution, corruption in the distribution of aid, and overt political control and patronage over aid distribution. Northern NGOs were also seen as having the added advantage of being able to link more easily to southern NGOs than states and to transcend national boundaries in the scope of the operational reach. But the mere fact that they are non-state was a primary positive factor in its own right. As neoliberal development discourse advanced the notion of the developmental state, The preoccupation of international development shifted to concerns about the capacity of the state to fulfil its developmental and normative role and the commitment of the actors involved to do so. States were increasingly assessed on their development capacity by how they engage civil society in their governance and whether they have established the conducive framework for development to occur at local levels. Good governance was increasingly centred on the promotion of civil society and collaboration with NGOs through enabling national environments and capable local government. As a concept, civil society occupied an increasingly important position in development discourse. For Fowler, understanding civil society is to view it through the prism of the relationship between a nation-state, citizenship and civic agency. From a post-structural perspective, development discourse presents a manifestation of a Gramscian understanding of civil society as constituting an arena in which hegemonic ideas concerning the organisation of economic and social life are both established and contested, and where the state and civil society to be mutually constitutive rather than separate autonomous entities, with both formed in relation to historical and structural forces. Civil society, therefore, has epistemic roots in both developmentalist and liberal concepts of the role of the state regarding its citizens, and thus 
in this endeavor, developmentalism and the state have convergent interests in maintaining and managing citizens' engagement. As Mary Keldor noted, the notion of civil society has moved from being linked to the territorialism of the nation-state in the late 20th century to a new understanding of civil society representing both a withdrawal from the state and a move towards global rules and institutions. Indeed, Caldor links this to the establishment of a system of global governance in which civil society plays an important legitimizing role. It is not a single world state, but a system in which states are increasingly hemmed in by a set of agreements, treaties and rules of transnational character. Increasingly, these rules are based not just on an agreement between states, but on public support generated through global civil society. This conceptualization of civil society is akin to a Gramscian notion of hegemony achieved by consent as opposed to domination by overt state coercion. In much of the development literature, civil society is seen as a non-political expression of citizen agency, as citizen-state engagement takes place in formalised political domains. The notion of citizenship participation has recently emerged as a means by which the convergence of people's agency and their participation in specific interventions might be understood. Civil society is therefore rendered apolitical in that it is the terrain for mediating service delivery and accountability functions between citizens and states within contained and localised arenas. NGO roles in relation to civil society are consequently restricted to support this form and function as opposed to overtly political strategies to address fundamental causes of inequalities of power and status. Depoliticisation can bring challenges for development actors. In the face of development's continued failure to address societal inequities, this distribution can come under pressure and development interventions will continue to experience an uncertain and uncomfortable relation with politics. NGOs intent on their non-political identity can fail to comprehend the complexities of the social and geographic locations for their work and undermine the feasibility of social change objectives and increase risks of political discontent and social conflict. As a result, political goals are often subsumed into socio-economic objectives that serve a developmentalist frame. For NGOs, civil society needs to be approached as a technical construct requiring the application of technocratic managerialist approaches of capacity building and facilitation in order to elicit funding support and political legitimization. Hence the participation of civil society in development projects and interventions is less an expression of agency but rather one serving governmental objectives. This participation serves to legitimise the development intervention as beneficial and, complemented by technical processes and mechanisms, justifies the imposition of managerialist roles and accountabilities across a range of actors incorporated by the encompassing notion of civil society. 
There is increasing critical attention paid to the role of those involved in the implementation of development in the form of theorists or practitioners, particularly from the post-development theoretical school. Sally Matthews, for example, argues much post-development theory suggests that what is wrong with development is that it seems to involve outsiders deciding on behalf of others what these others need and how these needs can be met. In this endeavour, development discourse offered a useful mechanism to transition to a frame seeming free of racial signifiers but retaining notions of progress to Western civilization for uncivilised countries of the South. Indeed, northern NGOs continue to exercise control over people in the South by perpetuating colonialist notions of the other for both their own country-based staff and communities and exerting control of their expectations and behaviour and creating social hierarchies similar to colonialism. For some, the proliferation of development discourse and the co-option of NGOs has not been achieved by coercion or grand conspiracy, but rather is the result of a coincident in ideologies where the proponents of neoliberalism saw the possibility of enforcing the unjust social order they desired by consensual rather than coercive means. For others like Qatari, this ideological convergence was integral to the shift from colonialism, where ideologies that were constructed and used to to sustain forms of colonial rule and authority have travelled into the spatiality and temporality of international development cooperation and aid and continue to mark relations between the West and the rest and the first and third worlds. Neoliberal development discourse tied together a number of threads of thought, practices and social relations that reconstituted an ideological frame that in turn reconstituted these practices and norms. There is a powerful anti-political rationale for the development industry's elevation of NGOs, who are paradoxically seen as important actors in simultaneously promoting a civil society and good governance agenda, the latter aiming to reduce the powers and scope of the state, while the former being bound into delivery modalities that effectively depoliticize it. For developmentalism, this represents a more efficient means to advance governmentality objectives and offered the scope to incorporate all non-state actors within a non-political delivery architecture. In this way, developmentalism constructs itself as the anti-politics machine that preoccupied Ferguson in the early 1990s. Yet NGO ability to deliver services efficiently is in doubt heavily reliant on donor funding and constituted by a transient managerial and staff base, they struggle to develop the operational continuities and systems necessary to compete against private companies, nor are they well-placed to substitute for the state in delivering social services to citizens. Ironically, those that have developed these systems and commerciality in their models have become increasingly indistinguishable from their commercial competitors. In addition, the perceived advantage of NGOs being able to link local NGOs and actors has faded as the local development terrain 
has become more structured and incorporated multiple state and non-state actors capable of delivering components of development services. There is little evidence that the added value in terms of sustained impact outweighs the additional transactional cost and concentration of power which this position brings. So what does this mean for individual agency and development? In the next episode, we consider and explore how the individual places itself within these trends and within this discourse.